This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready. Hi, I'm Judith. And I'm Melina. We are internet friends turned real life friends who both experienced the tragic loss of our sons to sudden infant death syndrome in winter of 2021. In the year after Aiden died, my husband and I both became unemployed, my parents divorced, and we had to move five times for various reasons. And as for me, just a few weeks before my son Quinn died, my then husband had come out to me as a transgender woman and were subsequently divorcing. It's been a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as we're living, we will love our sons deeply and work to make sure that we live a life that makes them proud. Welcome to As Long As I'm Living podcast. We're so glad you're here. It just could not have come at a better time because I had today, I went out with a couple of friends, a friend and her friend, but I guess we're friends now. Um, And she was telling me how she's really wrestling with like the idea of should she have children or should she go abroad and like learn how to be a teacher in a foreign country and how she feels like there's so much life to live. And she just feels like she's missing out. She just didn't feel like she's, confident in the path that she's in and the entire time all I could think was like you know when you lose a child all that goes away you know like all of a sudden it's crystallized what the what were you going to use the word crystallized I was I wrote it down it's, (laughs) it's all of a sudden crystallized that all of that stuff doesn't matter because this you're already living your story the story is in play yes that makes perfect sense I want to read you the four words I wrote. I have all sorts of notes, but I wrote down four words. Okay. Crystallize, distill, mm-hmm. intentional, and deliberate. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes. And I started with crystallize. I already brought it up. I cannot, yep, I cannot wait did. for this conversation. So listeners, today we are going to talk to Dr. Mandel. You may know Dr. Mandel as at grief with Dr. Denise on Instagram, or you may remember her from um, our episode, Grief Needs a Witness. She's already been on our podcast. She's our first, second time guest, I think. So that's pretty exciting. I, th- I think that's true. And I just want to crystallize this. Do you <laughs> want us to call you Denise? <laughs> Can you like, introduce yourself with your name? And your <laughs> Actually, I think I'm feeling fond of Dr. Denise right now. because Okay. Okay. Dr. Denise. My handle. Okay. So let's okay. go with Dr. Denise. Now that we've clarified that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking about making meaning in loss. And I think this is, a, this is something that I didn't even have the capacity to think about in the beginning. I just did not have the capacity. And now it's something that I do think about fairly frequently. So I think let's start with what does making meaning mean? What does that even mean? Sometimes it's making meaning out of the loss. Sometimes it's making meaning out of your life. Sometimes it's making meaning out of the life of the person that you lost. It's actually very individual. And I also want to say that we don't always understand the loss. We can find meaning without necessarily understanding it because sometimes we can't make sense of it. But it's finding some kind of meaning or purpose for yourself to make life more livable and more full and rich for yourself. Mm-hmm. As opposed to when you first have your loss, it feels utterly empty and devastated. Is making meaning the goal of grief? That's kind of like a, I know what you're going to say. Is that the goal? No, the goal of grief is to actually feel your feelings, Mm -hmm. feel the love because grief is intimately connected to love. Mm -hmm. Meaning is what we 
use to make a path forward from our grieving. Mm-hmm. I still feel confused on the idea of making meaning. And you and I, even in our own sessions, have discussed like the things that Alina and I do in this podcast. They'll say, like, look, see, you're making meaning out of it. And I'm still confused as to what that means. Like, I'll say to you and I feel, I'll say, I don't really understand. Like, is this podcast making a difference? Like, it doesn't make me feel better about Aiden's loss. I still feel pretty sad that he's not here. I don't, I, I don't feel like I was destined to lose him so I can do this. But I feel like you still say, no, like this is the process of finding beauty and loss or like finding meaning in it. This is the, you know, the meaning. And I still feel confused about that. Like what exactly, why? Why do we need to make meaning out of loss? Why can't it just be a big, well, we, bad, ugly thing? Loss is a big, bad, ugly thing. But loss is what we can't change because we can't bring our loved ones back. And so it's the distinction between what we can do and what we can't do. We can make meaning. We can make our lives more full or find purpose. We can't have the agency to take the loss away. So where we begin to feel more ourselves and more that we can move forward is where we focus on what do I want to do with the life that I have left? It's so almost... it's never going to be okay that mm-hmm. you lost your child. Never. Yeah. And the meaning that you make won't ever make it worth losing your child. Nothing will make, nothing makes it worth losing your child. But it's what you can do with what you have left. Yeah. And I actually think, I think pretty much everyone on earth, regardless of whether they've lost a child, regardless of whether they've had a horrific out of order loss, that is kind of what we do in life, right? We try to make a meaningful life for ourselves. And I think this comes into play with grief because so much of what people get meaning from in their life is being close to loved ones. And so when that loved one is gone, it's like we have to take the pieces of that and and try to massage it into something else that is also meaningful, even with their absence still there. And it's a big gaping hole. That's a very interesting Correct. point, Luna. And ideally it's something in line with your values. So if your value is to make a contribution then making a contribution, whether it is to honor yourself and express yourself, your individuality more in this life, or to make a contribution in the name of the loved one that you lost, if it's in alignment with your values, it will be meaningful for you. Mm-hmm. So how is this helpful to grievers making meaning? How does this help the grief process? It's the idea that in the beginning of the loss, often we don't feel any hope, we don't feel any sense of purpose or meaning or future. and it's the means by which to take a step forward. So it sometimes it's connected to hope. Hope is a very complicated one, but it's the idea that we won't be mired in pain for the rest of our lives, but there's something else that we can do even though we still hold that pain and that loss. Do you think everybody gets to the point where they've made meaning out of loss? Or do you think there are some people who just don't? No, quite sadly, not everyone makes meaning out of loss. Unfortunately, sometimes we become despondent to such a degree that we do not find a path out of it. We may feel lost from hope, disconnected from meaning in life, and broken down in a way we feel we cannot recover from. We may become caught in a spiral of trauma and re-traumatization where we perpetuate unhealthy patterns, choices, and lifestyles. In this instance, we may or may not see that our pain has become suffering and that in fact, we may be contributing to our own suffering. This brings up the question of how we distinguish between pain and suffering. Pain is inevitable when we lose someone close to us. 
But suffering comes when we keep reigniting our pain. We may not allow in the good that still remains. And some people get really stuck in their grieving because they, they get in this loop and they can't find their way out. Paint the, paint the picture of what it looks like when you're stuck in it. Stuck is either you feel so lost from yourself and your sense of purpose that you can't find your way. Or some people feel that if they give up their suffering, then they've given up their loved one. There is uh-huh. some confusion around if I'm not in pain, I no longer love them or I'm no longer attached to them. Mm. And, and I, those and I are feel... both nodding. I just want our listeners to know we're mm. both nodding because okay. I think that's okay. a thought process that I know I had for a while mm-hmm. in the beginning that it really felt like because he was so special and important to me that it felt like if I ever didn't feel pain at the thought of him, yes. it was almost like the attachment was lessening and that was a very hard pill to swallow. Now, two years out, I really, and really actually it happened much sooner than two years out, but really at this point I can think about him many days with all joy, all joy. And it's, it's so different from what I thought it would be like two years out. I thought I either would have to be in debilitating pain, waiting, wishing I could be holding him, all of that. And that meant we were connected or I wasn't going to be connected at all. Like I would have to forget about him. And that's really not how I feel like it's played out. Very common in the beginning, what you're describing, because the the pain is so pervasive. And especially when you lose a young child, as you both did, you're not just losing your child, you're losing the role that you were playing with that child, your sense of identity. So it's almost impossible in the beginning to feel that sense of separation from the loss being all of what you're experiencing. But bit by bit over time, there begins to be a separation of there's still a you, even though you can't actively mother with that child physically here. And you regain a sense of yourself. And then you are left with that question of there becomes a little bit more choice around, do I want to be suffering forever or do I want to find some kind of hope, some kind of meaning, some kind of relief, some kind of peace? Mm -hmm. And there can't be peace and suffering. Because the pain is honest. The pain is real. It's There's no way around that that separation is devastating. Mm-hmm. And pain is an inevitability of life if we have connection with people. Yeah. But suffering isn't. Mm-hmm. We can choose to move out of suffering. Judith, what were you going to say? I'm, I'm just curious for Alina. What do you feel is the meaning that you've found after loss like what do you what is the meaning of his life of his loss like how have you interpreted this and integrated this into your life that's a that's a really good question that's actually a good place to start too because i think a lot of people think of meaning making as they probably assume what i'm about to say is that i have this podcast that i've turned into this podcast i would actually say yes that is a small piece of it but i actually think so much more meaningful to me in my heart is the work I've done to be able to continue to parent him, like be, figuring out how how his loss has affected me, the ways that I can see in myself that I've become a better person. And I don't, I don't want this. We'll talk about toxic positivity and silver linings and all of that, I'm sure, at some point. I don't mean it in that way at all. I just mean I think I can see the way that both his life and his death has changed me, changed the trajectory of my entire life. And I can recognize some, if not good, then at least some 
meaning. Meaning's the right word, right? That's what we're talking about. I can feel some meaning there. I also love having this podcast. I think I would probably feel, I don't feel like I would feel the lack of this podcast if I didn't have it. I don't think I needed this podcast to feel like I was making meaning out of the loss. That said, I do get a lot of meaning out of connecting with other lost parents, out of being able to help them. Um, And I think I would like to be doing that on a smaller scale anyway, but this does enable me to help people on a grander scale. What do you think, Judith? I just think that was so beautifully said. (laughs) Ditto? (laughs) I think it's a little different for me. And then wait, I'll just say, Dr. Denise, I'm going to ask you next. I actually know your answer, but I'm going to still ask you, but I'll answer first, but I'll give you time to think about it, even though I know what your answer is going to be. (laughs) But, um, I'll say that for me, uh, I feel similarly about the podcast. I'm so glad that it helps so many people, but I don't think when I think of the loss, it's in any stretch of imagination, like the most meaningful thing I've gained and walked away from. I think Mm -hmm. that my husband and I were just talking about this because I mean, I've shared that he's been struggling um, that he's been going through grief, you know, he's been grieving in a way that I was last year and this year. And we had a conversation about does, would he have rather the loss happen to like a second or a third child or the first child? Like what does he, where does, how does he feel about that? Like, I feel grateful that it happened to my first and I feel like it was pretty shitty that happened to my first, but I think both of us feel that we are much better parents because we went through this experience. I think that we, as a couple, have been through so much now that we're both able to be like more present parents, just more loving, more attentive parents, both of us than we ever could have been before. And that is very meaningful to me. I also think that I in myself feel a sense of confidence and a sense of assuredness and kind of like um, an anchor that I never was before. I think I was a very flighty person before. And I really feel like I found my my voice and I also feel like I really found like my self-assuredness like I feel kind of unflappable um Mm -hmm. and I think part of that comes from the knowledge that I've been through the worst so I kind of have a perspective and to me that's I mean I wish I didn't have it but it's life-changing I think it's changed every interaction I've had with other people um it changed how I am at work it changed how I am in my relationship it changed how I am with my daughter it just completely changed me to feel like confident in my like when I say something I mean it from my heart and I'm expressing a need and I I just don't think I was able to do that before I mean I certainly stood up for things I believed in but you know I was intimidated I was like I could be more intimidated now I just feel really confident in myself so I think that's one thing but I also think the stillness is also really important like learning to just be present and just be able to appreciate the moment for what it is whether it's good or bad whether, Whether it's, it's good or bad beautiful or painful. Yeah. Just be like, okay, like I'm really, you know, I'm here. I'm now, I don't often think of much about the future and I don't really like spend as much time in the past as people would think I'm really able to be present. And to me, that's really meaningful. Like it makes for a more meaningful life when you're living in the present. It means that when you're sitting around the dinner table and you you're with your family and you're not suffering in pain and you're all able to sit there and enjoy each other's company. You're like, Oh, this is the best life ever. Like <laughs> this is incredible. We're all here and happy and like smiling and that was not possible a year ago and so I just think it's a more meaningful life because all those little teeny tiny moments that before probably would have passed me by because I was like thinking where I should be or could be or would be now I'm just kind of like okay and I'm so happy I did that today and today was a good day and it was a day you know Mm -hmm. so to me that is a more meaningful life than when before you know 
there's always a piece of me that maybe was wondering, am I doing life right? Am I, you know, like, am I, I don't know. Do I really like these people? Do I, I don't know. Whatever I was thinking, there was a, a piece of me that was like not hundred percent present. And so I wasn't able to really like fully enjoy and I wasn't able to fully like take every single peaceful, juicy moment out of it. And now I'm just so used to living in a shit dishwasher, washing machine upside down <laughs> that when things are peaceful and calm and good, it's just the greatest feeling in the entire world. And I think that that is such a better way to live for better or for worse. Yeah, I, I think know. you put it you put it the right way. It's it's perspective. Perspective. Yeah. Gives your life a lot of meaning. Okay, Dr. Denise, how do you feel your loss has brought meaning? Yeah, and as a reminder everybody, Dr. Denise is a grief therapist and she's also a loss mom herself. So, she's got some good perspective here. <laughs> and decades of experience. <laughs> she's wonderful. We love her. <laughs> Thank you. I have always been a big believer in the fact that we are, it is my belief that we are here to grow and deepen and contribute. And I think that when we have extreme experiences like the loss of a child or loss in general, that amidst the pain, there's an opportunity to know ourselves better, to face the worst of it and figure out how we as a unique human being are going to come out the other side. And so that really taps into the question of what is resilience. And I think that it takes grit and determination and courage to come out of the worst possible thing. And finding yourself in that is meaningful. For me, working with loss has brought tremendous meaning to my life. And I believe I said in the last time I was on, making something good out of something terrible profoundly matters to me. And so it's a, it's a weird version of pay it forward that if I can survive this, I can help other, I can assist in other people surviving this. And if I can contribute one little ripple in the pain that exists in this universe in terms of loss, I'm up for it. And I also think that makes my son's life matter even more because that means that he's made a contribution that he didn't even know about while he was here. Yeah. And it's ever expanding. The other thing is that I believe that we're here to love. And so I continue to love and I continue to give in a way that I believe helps people continue to love. And that expands in the most beautiful way. Yeah. I like the way that you said expands, like the idea that one loss could somehow bring more love into the world and more kindness in the world and more empathy in the world. Like it can really make so much beauty, you know, like if you think of like every little thing as one little flower, you know, you'll have like a whole garden, yeah. you know, of all these beautiful different flowers of beauty that have been brought into this world. If you think of it like that, like your life has been impacted and now you impact all these other people's lives and they all, you know, plant little gardens and there's really so much beauty. The question I have about that is how is that different than making meaning out of a life where you haven't had a loss? Mm. Like, I think everybody would want to say that they impacted other people's lives and like they're, you know, that they changed the world and they encourage people to be more loving. And they is the only difference that this is so much harder. Like everyone mm. wants a more meaningful life. Like we're doing it on difficult mode. <laughs> yeah. Are we doing it like on heroin? Like what is it? about? That? Well, it's from a very challenged place, certainly. But every, yes, everybody has the opportunity to have a meaningful life. I just think that 
it is so easy to get caught up in the day to day, the minutia of living, right? And we get distracted with things that are less deliberate, like what do I look like? Or what does so-and-so yeah. think of me? Or, you know, what am I getting at the grocery store? And we all have to think about that stuff. But I think that this sort of knocks us into more deliberateness because it is so easy to stay in pain that I think we need to be more deliberate about at a certain point. And it's not that it happens all at once, but at a certain point saying, how am I going to lift myself up? How am I going to step forward even in the face of all this? <laughs> and I, and Judith said earlier, we were talking about crystal, it, it crystallizing things. And I do feel I cannot explain people who have also lost a child. I'm guessing this will not shock anybody, but for anybody who hasn't lost a child, it really was a profound shift, profound in the way I saw everything. Things became so crystal clear. It was like, I didn't have glasses on and then I put glasses on. And I do think that, you know, over time, some of that like crystallization has faded, which I actually kind of am okay with. Um, but I do think there was a kind of a permanent shift. Like I put on my clear lenses and now just life makes so much more sense. I so my question is, Dr. Mandel, you're like, Dr. Denise, you're like <laughs> 19 years out, 18 years out, right? So does that stay? Do the glasses stay on? For me, yes. <laughs> but also this is what I live and breathe every day. This is the work that I yeah, do. True. Um, so it's in the forefront for me. One of the words is transformation. It can really transform you. Mm-hmm. It's not just, though, what you want to do. I think it's also relationship to self because our relationship to ourselves are at the core of everything. And if you somehow survive more pain than you can imagine existing in and still don't lose yourself, I mean, again, without being a lost parent, that might sound just overly dramatic. But the pain of losing your child is so crushing that you learn something about your determination in weathering that and not just being jaded and bitter, but actually rising up. So what you do is you don't let go of your grief. You find more of yourself. I remember Judith and I, we've talked, we talked about this a lot. And this was something we really talked about a lot, a lot, a lot in the early days when we were still like day to day, just trying to make it to the day. We both have this strong desire to not harden to life. I think that I have every right to live the rest of my life as a completely bitter, like mean person who has been wronged. And everyone would understand if that was the path I took, no one would like it, but they would understand. Like life has dealt me a bad hand in a lot of ways. And I think I just felt really strongly from the beginning that that was not the path I wanted to go down. But I kind of, you have to kind of be deliberate about it because it is so easy to be in so much pain and be suffering so much that you kind of harden and become this like mean little like rock. Or that's one option. Yeah. Agreed. Or you become very removed from life. Yes. You turn to like all these external things to take you out of the pain. Like I remember saying like, I could totally understand how people become drug addicts. Like I, I get it now. 100%. 100%. Like the pain is so intense. I'll do anything. If you tell me all I have to do is take a medicine to like stop hurting like this, I'll take it. Whatever mm-hmm. pill you give me, I'll take. And it takes a lot to say, no, I'm going to live with this. I'm going to face this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to integrate it into my life as opposed to just hiding from it or shielding from it yes. or becoming bitter and angry. And I 
I know I told Dr. Denise from day one, like, I want to be a happy person. I want to be better. I don't, you know, I want to feel joy. I want to enjoy my child. I want to be soft and ooey gooey and mushy ooey on the gooey. inside. Yeah. I, that, I, that's the type of person I want to be. And so for me, I really didn't have another choice. Like, if you, if that's how you want to, if you have a picture in your head of the person you want to be in 20 years from now, and that person is ooey gooey, mushy, lovey, like happy, joyous person, you have no choice but to walk through it and deal with it and integrate it into your life and like grieve head on. I mean, or maybe there's another way that I don't know. Dr. Denise, is there but, another way? Well, no, no. I want to say something else, which is that in saying that, what that implies is that you never lost your sense of yourself because you maintained the vision of who you, how you wanted to come out of this and who you wanted to be. Yeah. And especially when you use a, lose a young child, because that's your whole world is caretaking that child on some level in the beginning, it can feel like all you see is the pain and you are synonymous with the loss. And it's hard to feel that sense of yourself as separate from that loss. And sometimes it takes a fair amount of time to regain that. You did not lose that because you're able to say, I always knew who I wanted to be. You had a clear vision. Sometimes that takes more time. But the idea is that we don't know if we're going to have five more minutes on this earth or 50 more years or 70 more years, depending on your age. The question is, how do you want to live it? Yeah. And we do have choice. So we can't choose what happens to us, but we can choose how we move through it. If you want to be ooey gooey, there's a path to getting there. So what is that path? Dr. Denise, what can new grievers, middle-aged grievers, I would consider Judith and I middle-aged grievers. What, what tips do you have for simple practices to help people make meaning? Like, how do you actually, how do you actually start this process? You start very small mm -hmm. and you look for any kind of action that provides you some kind of relief or peace or sense of self or insight. So that could be journaling. That could be taking a walk and looking at the sky. That could be asking somebody else how they're doing when all you can really see is how you're doing. It's something that's in alignment with your values, but that feels like it gives you a moment's respite and gives you a sense of value or a sense of yourself. And you look for a cumulative effect of small moments. And it's attached to the idea that you do better when you feel peaceful. So sometimes it's self-care. Sometimes it's saying, I need to make sure that I have enough vitality to weather the storm of this grief. So I'm going to eat something or I'm going to make sure that I get sleep or I'm going to actually ask for help when I need it. So you start very small and you find the things that make moments more livable or make them matter more. I was talking to a lost mom, a new lost mom recently in our DMs. Um, and I think the, the way I put it is, if you find something that even just for a moment makes you feel like the world isn't off its axis, that keep doing that. And I think, I think people can kind of go in the wrong direction with this and maybe get a, a moment's respite is not drinking until you don't feel your feelings, right? Like, yes, Correct. of course that gives you a respite, but like really we're talking about here, the things that make you feel whole, make you feel like a real person, if only truly like for five seconds. Because in the beginning, like, wow, do those five seconds feel good, right? It's yeah, like, yes. and then over time you get five seconds, you get 10 seconds, you get 10 minutes, you get a day, right? 
And you're saying, as you're saying, exactly. that cumulative effect. Exactly. I, I want to talk a little bit about how this is different from toxic positivity and like find a silver lining. Because I always say there are no silver linings in loss. Like there's not, there's no, to me, yeah, there's no silver linings. So how is what you're saying different from like, I don't know, you, you can find, yeah, you can find the good in everything. Like how is this different than that? There is no good in everything to find when you lose your child because it will never be okay that your child died. You would do anything to change it. Instead, this is finding, embracing, and amplifying what good is left after so much has been lost. That's very different. And there is still purpose and goodness to find in life, which you will be able to see again slowly as the darkness that covers your entire sky at first starts to thin here and there as you emerge from the initial pit of hell. This is a process of finding yourself and redefining yourself with what remains, reconnecting with the spirit that sustains you and your essence. How could you not need to realign yourself, your view of yourself, and life itself when the worst possible thing that most people fear is your living and breathing reality every day? So toxic positivity is inauthentic. It is, in essence, superficially pretending to deal with something or, in actuality, not dealing with it because it is putting a happy face or a positive face on, which in turn downplays or under-acknowledges difficult and negative emotions. It is absolutely impossible to lose your child and not go through the dark night of the soul. So toxic positivity is the unsustainable, even if well-intended attempt to cope with something too huge to handle when you are fighting for your emotional life. Which is why I came today with the words crystallized, distill, intentional, and deliberate written down. These words, to me, embody what it takes to rise out of the ashes of this conflagration. You crystallize and distill what truly matters to you, and you intentionally and deliberately build a life of meaning and purpose in the face of tragedy. It takes grit, determination, and perseverance. You have to rebuild step by painful step and fight with all of your being to find your way back to any semblance of wholeness and peace again. It is possible, though you may not see a path to it at first, and it takes a lot of time to get there. And you can. The three of us are living proof of this, even though it is a long and winding road filled with many cliffs and potholes. Does that, I don't know if that's I don't know, because I don't, I don't like the idea that there, are, might, that there might be people who are hearing this that might say, oh, like, but, it, but she's okay. She's okay now because, look, she's developed this sense of self and this inner peace. And, like, it all worked out in the end, you know? I don't like the idea that someone could listen to this and say that to themselves, because what I would say to that person is like, no, you don't understand. It's not, it's not like it's all okay. Now <laughs> it will never be okay. I'm not like, you know, like this doesn't make it like manageable or livable. It's not like I t learned a lesson, you know, like a, a kid that got into a car accident, but then learned that he shouldn't speak. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> here. And I don't want it to come off like that. It's the best you can do in spite of. Yeah. I think that's, the cornerstone of it and there's value in spite of like there's value in it yes yes i almost want to say 
like instead of beauty, I almost want to say value. Like you can find value in something without it being like more beautiful, more perfect, like a silver lining. Like it's just a value. It's valuable. It's more meaning. But I think that the problem with the silver lining is that like it says, okay, well, you had this bad thing happen, but this, but you were able, but it's really a beautiful thing just depending on perspective. I don't think this will ever be a beautiful thing. Well, and also, like, I'm kind of thinking about the origin of that phrase, silver lining. If, I, if I'm if i remembering correctly, what it is is that there's a storm cloud, right? And the silver lining is the sun coming out from behind the clouds, right? Isn't that where that phrase yeah. comes from? So you have that kind of, like, ring of sunlight. And so I think the phrase silver lining is saying, okay, the storm cloud is going to go away. This, oh, look, you've made it. There's a silver lining. The sun will come out soon and the cloud will go away. This is like the cloud is always going to fucking be there. The cloud will yeah. always be there. There's something, the sky is never going to be perfectly sunny ever again, ever for the rest of my life because my sun but is But maybe dead. the point is that you can learn to appreciate clouds. Clouds are exactly. fluffy. Clouds. Yes. yes. Make the sky more interesting. Yes. The clouds. I actually, I really feel like that's I don't what know. it is. What do you think? Like the clouds are going to be there. But see, that's where I get to beautiful because I, mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying, Judith, about like we could take a position this isn't beautiful because it's so fraught with you know the devastation that lurks in the back corner but i do think there's something beautiful in the humanity of saying in the face of tragedy in the face of what at first appears to be unsurvivable we rise up out of the ashes and we don't give up mm-hmm. there's something quite beautiful in that i think i i actually would almost liken losing quinn to the kind of perspective shift that I had when he was first born. I think that when your baby is first born, your life, it's like, it just like expands, like the love in your heart just like explodes and you have, it's like you're seeing things on a different plane. And then he died and it's like, I have this whole other plane. Like I still have the plane of all the love I have for him in that perspective shift that I got in becoming a parent. And then I also have this whole other layer on top that I, again, like, as you're saying, I wish I didn't have it. I'd give it up in a heartbeat. I I wish it weren't there, but it's there. And so I can recognize that it has some, I I do think it has some beauty in it. And also I want to just say, I'm saying this on a good day, right? Like I'm sitting here, I'm having a good day. If I'm having a bad day, I do not see any beauty at all. I think that's a very important thing to say. Mm I am. I, um, I one thing I think about, and I want your thoughts on this is like how so many lost people, lost parents that I know, like start a charity. Mm-hmm. They like write a book. Like we start this podcast. Like I kind of feel like we pick up these like pet projects and hobbies. You know, mm-hmm. like what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> are we like what? Do you think like the, the? I don't know. I think I kind of would look at that beforehand and be like, this is just a way. Like this isn't really adding. What is this adding? Who is this book for? Like, I guess I just would think, like, are you doing this just as a way to act, like, continue your love for your child? This is just, like, an avenue, a facility, a space to funnel your love? Or is this adding value to the world? Is it for you or for them? Does that make sense? Can it be both? I think, I, yeah, I don't know. You tell me. I, I guess so. Well, the first thing that's very, very important to say is that I would never want anyone listening to this feel or just in terms of reading things that there are some people who make a foundation or they 
start a business. Nobody has to do any of that. So I do think it's very important to say that everybody's got their own path and you don't have to do those things to honor the life of the person that you lost. Absolutely. Everybody has their own. Yes. Okay. Me too. There are so many named charities. I cannot tell you how many wonderful organizations we've come across on Instagram that are named, you know, the someone's legacy foundation or so-and-so's, you know, rainbows for so, you know what I mean? Like there are so many of these charities that I can see the. I certainly felt pressure. I was like, I, I, I I really did. When am I going to start my foundation? What do I I care about enough to have a foundation? Like, I don't (laughs) know. Oh my God. I thought the same thing. And I'm particularly (laughs) someone who I guess like would like, it's, it's not like so far off. And I'm like, but the whole time, like, you know, all this time, like there's nothing I want to do. Like, I don't want to, Alina one time called me. She was like, dude, I want to start a foundation where we like do paperwork for people <laughs> who've lost their children. And I was like, Lena, yeah, this was my how are we going to do that? Like, what kind of, where are, how are we? That we were going to like call the insurance and like help yeah. people. Like, I think I had like a rough day trying day? to deal with the like ambulance people. But I had this like brilliant <laughs> idea. And Judith was like, I love the enthusiasm. I don't think that that's a great idea. I don't want to do that. And I think I've continually felt that way. Like, I just, I don't know if I will ever be passionate about something enough to want to start a foundation. And I definitely feel pressured to. I'm supposed to you make meaning. You absolutely don't have to. Meaning can only truly be determined by the person making it. Because no one else can feel the inner workings of our heart and soul. It is as individual as our fingerprints and must touch something inside of us in order to matter to us. Certainly suggestions can be made about how to make meaning, and there are definitely things many people resonate with. Examples are perpetuating things that were meaningful to or honor the person that you've lost, doing things in their name, giving to others in honor or memory of them, whether that be a financial contribution or items of use or need, or doing good works and donating time and service. One of my favorites is picking a day or a time period during which others can do random acts of kindness in your loved one's name. It can be anything that is done to remember or celebrate the one you have lost. Or it can be more in the vein of working to discern what the loss can teach you so you can grow and learn from this difficult life transition. Or it is not uncommon that you can deepen into greater spirituality when you are pondering the questions of how life and death works, what you think about the greater universe, your place in it, and your purpose. Or it can feel meaningful to do rituals in honor of your loved one, whether it is lighting a candle or saying a prayer. There is something in the repetition of what you do to honor your person that can anchor you. So this is to say that there are all sorts of things you can do that aren't creating a foundation. If you're a person who can make a foundation, fantastic. But some people are um, expansive in their vision and some people are very quiet and individual and do things on a small level, but that doesn't make it less meaningful. It just, it makes it theirs. I I really needed to hear that. I feel like a collective sigh of relief from anyone out there who's like me. (laughs) I don't know who's there who's like me. We're all like, oh my gosh, we don't have to make a foundation. Thank God. I definitely think that there are a lot of people out there who need to hear that you can make meaning out of your child's loss without doing something huge. Mm -hmm. You do not have to start a podcast. But Dr. Denise was going to say, not huge, not not what, not what. It's huge, but not 
It's she's saying something, guys. I think what she's she gonna say guess. is it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. All things can be huge. <laughs> Everything can be huge. Huge does that not mean a foundation. No. No. What were you gonna say? It connects to a very, very important idea, which is that each of us is in this world to be the most and best us we can be. We don't need to be like anyone else. We don't have to be anyone else. And that is the foundation of being your truest self and being happiest. Mm -hmm. So if, if one person's answer is to do something small and meaningful, and that's their highest truth, nobody else's purpose or plans or decisions has anything to do with that. So everyone's got their own unique journey in terms of being a human on this planet, in terms of being a parent, in terms of surviving your loss, in terms of what you do next, that rings true for the loss and every other part of their lives. Nobody else can determine what is right for you. Only you can. And, and you're saying, you know, that, that becoming the most you, right? Like being true to yourself. Part of my core identity is being Quinn's mom. So things that I can do that keep me close to him, that make me feel like his life had meaning, make me feel like I'm still parenting him in some way, even though he's gone. Those are things that make me feel like me because I don't get to mother him the way I want to, but that, but that does help me feel more like myself to somehow be still parenting him. However, it is, I've figured out ways to do that. And I do, I do feel like I still parent. Um, and I think that would surprise like two years ago, you know, when I was 11 days out from the loss, I think it would surprise me to hear that I still feel like I mother him, but I really do. I do. I feel the same way. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I spend a lot of time with moms now and I alive like baby moms, alive baby's mom. Sorry. I should explain that. Yeah. I spend a lot of time with alive baby's moms and, um, I don't, I mean, I've said this before, but like, I don't feel like I relate at all. And I think, I think I identify more like my identity more aligns with the lost parent than the alive child parent. I feel like I'm more competent in that side of parent of me. I find more meaning in it. I find like, I just feel more comfortable in it than I think of the alive baby parent. I feel really like to me, that's not the most important part of me. I think if you wanted to know what was more important, I would say being a Aiden's mom. Not that I, I mean, I love my child more than anything. and I love being her mom. But in terms of like what shapes my motherhood, being a lost mom more shapes my identity and my mothering than to be an alive baby mom. That's Does that make any sense? It makes sense. And what I would say to that is that that is your truth. And if it stays that way for the rest of your life, that is a fine truth. And if it shifts with time, that is also a fine truth. That that is your sense of self and nobody gets to have an opinion about that rightly yeah. and that's true for every lost parent is the wholeness for them is to find their own path in their life going forward and that is part of what makes meaning and makes life rich is that we fully embody our journey while we're here but you know what i think is interesting i would say i identify more as a lost parent because of the meaning that i've gained from the loss meaning being a more present parent, mm. being a more engaged parent, being a more grateful parent. Like those are the hallmarks of what I want to be remembered as, what I want to be considered as for a parent. And I got those skills from Aiden's loss. Like 
to me, I feel like that's why I connect so strongly because I want to be that kind of mother, the kind of mother that's so present, that's so grateful, that's not naive, but embraces life for the scary little bits that it brings and like still is joyful. That's the type of mom that I want to be. And I don't think that I got that whole part of me from being an alive baby mom. Yeah, so as you're saying that, <laughs> I have this this vision, right? So I get this picture in my head of that if somebody gets lost in their grief, it's as if they're not grounded anymore. They're floating in the lost space. But to come out the other side, I think you have to anchor yourself very strongly down to the earth. You have to find yourself and find your core. And so you're talking about parenting, I think, from that found core, the mm -hmm. essence of you. You've distilled down what matters, what's important. You've taken something powerful out of the journey that you've been on and you're using it going forward in terms of being a mom now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. And I, I, my, okay. My, my last question, Alina, I don't know if you have more questions, but my last question is, um, is, do you think some of these things are only things that you can get from loss, loss of a child? Or do you think that there are people, any loss, like can give you these same types of skills? Like what is different about losing a child and the meaning and the beauty that you can find out on the other end? that people who've lost parents or lost spouses can't? Or is people can enough? definitely find this. No, people can definitely find this in other losses for sure. And there are also very deep and spiritual people who are very grounded, who haven't had an early, you know, a loss in their earlier years like this. However, I think losing your child thrusts you in to the deep end. Mm -hmm. You're just swimming in those waters. Yeah. Do you think that you would have gotten there by the age you're at anyway? Like, do you see amongst your peers, amongst your peers, <laughs> that they're kind of in the same mindset? Or you think some people, like, you know, without this loss, they just never get there? Or do you think part of it is maturity? Like, I turned 30 in this time. So part of me is like, yeah, this is mm. maybe this is what 30 looks like. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I think that people are drawn to different things. Yes, everybody, part of it is maturity. Everybody can deepen as they grow. But for me personally, I am very inspired and drawn to swimming in the waters of pain and difficulty of loss in a very particular way. I always swam in those waters in terms of being a therapist. I am very moved and enlivened by the potential of helping people through pain in general, but these are particularly dark and murky waters mm -hmm. and I want to bring the light in. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be hard to exist in the space and not have death. Yeah. Um, and I think that people are pulled to death in a variety of different ways. That's mm -hmm. one of my ways. So I know um, I want to just ask you before we wrap up, like you're a beautiful writer. You say you took notes. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you had prepared that you want to share? Because I'm sure you worked hard on it. <laughs> I feel like you worked really hard so on it. And I don't want to take that opportunity. I, know, from you. I did. I guess there are a couple of points that I would want to make. Okay. The opposite of having a life of meaning is a life that is meaningless. Mm -hmm. And I think that it doesn't honor the loved one that we lost for our life not to hold meaning. And it certainly doesn't honor us. And so we don't want to live a life without meaning. And if we can say that, then we are tasked with the challenge of finding out how to create meaning for ourselves, mm -hmm. even in the face of such a devastating loss. Mm -hmm. And... Oof. I can't imagine anybody that we've loved and lost, if they had a, a voice or a vote, would want us to not have a life of meaning just because they're not here. 
also to echo something that you said, Alina, which I wanted to say, is that we lose the physical presence of the person, but we don't lose the love. And so the question is, how do we hold the love and carry that forward and take it along with us? Because through the love, we take them along with us. And then each of us decides in what fashion we wish to do that. But I think it's really important to know that when we put the pain aside or grow through the pain or feel less pain, we're not giving them up. Mm. We hold them close in all the ways that we choose. And everybody does it in their own way. And it's really important for everyone to find their way. And that mm. is the path through your grief, is to find your way, to know what you need when you need something to ask for help. And the, some of our basic needs in life are about safety and satisfaction and connection. So we don't feel safe when our entire world has been rocked and we have had our child torn away from us. We don't feel safe. So we're tasked with figuring out how to find some modicum of safety in the world. We're tasked with figuring out how to create satisfaction in the face of such loss and also with continuing meaningful connections, even though this connection has been changed in the way that we wanted it to be for us in this lifetime. That's really beautifully said. And the biggest thing is for people, especially in the beginning of their loss, is don't give up because it is not going to be later what it is in the beginning. In the beginning, you can't see through it. You can't see past it. You can't see around it. It's ever present in your face. Mm -hmm. And that's natural, but it doesn't stay there forever. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's actually a, a, a thing that I frequently say to new lost parents too. You don't, you don't have to be actively doing things to heal and make meaning every minute of the day. Like you don't, yes. there's, yes, there are things you can do to heal and to make meaning, but that does also come by taking care of yourself and, doing those little things. Like you don't have to necessarily like have a journaling prompt every single day. If that doesn't feel right to you, like the, the healing comes, the meaning will come like, don't force it, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Like let, let that come to you in a certain way and, and trust that with time and with like, as you grow, like it will get better. It does get better. I think for pretty much everybody universally, it gets better, easier. Later. I'm so glad that you said Sometimes. that. At some point. Yes. At some point. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that you said that because it would be ridiculous for somebody to lose their child, for example, and say two weeks later, okay, now my job is to find meaning. No, you're not supposed to find meaning in the beginning. And the other thing is you're also not supposed to figure out how to be in less pain. You need to let your grief speak. You need to let your pain speak until it has spoken. And it will continue to speak, but it will do so differently over time. So your job in yes. the beginning is to just survive every moment, but not try to change what's happening. It's just try to be present with yourself with what's happening. And you are absolutely right. The meaning comes and the decrease in pain comes with a lot of time. Mm -hmm. But to force it would be completely not genuine and not sustainable and not realistic. So Dr. Denise, you're starting a support group. Um, I want to give a I shout know. out and say that if anybody is looking for more of Dr. Denise, you're actually offering, it's a support what? group, right? Online? Yeah, it's a support, is, it online? is it like six weeks? Does it tell people where they can find you, what the support group will look like, whatever information you want people to know, kind of lay it out there. Okay. 
I'm saying six weeks for people to get started. Um, the grief groups that I have led in the past, people want to come for years. They do not want to stop. But I don't want somebody <laughs> to feel overwhelmed at that thought or feel burdened by that thought. And what I'm doing right now is seeing the level of, level of need because I like to do grief groups specific to type of loss. So if there's a large need, I'd like to do a separate group for stillborn babies. I'd like to do a separate group for loss of a young child, a separate group for loss of an adult child, but I have to do it based on what the need is. Mm -hmm. And they're virtual groups, they're support groups, they're not therapy, they're support groups. Mm -hmm. And it's a very meaningful and intimate space, speaking of meaning, to really be surrounded by people who understand what you're going through, and certainly I understand, and to create a safe haven to really process through what you're experiencing. So, yeah. okay. So how, if someone's interested, how can they find you? How can they, what would you like? They, my email? Can, is that the best way? Either. Yeah. Email's great. Grief with Dr. Denise at gmail.com or through my Instagram grief with Dr. Denise. And then you want people to just share with you the type of loss, right? What, what kind of information do you want to know a little bit about them? People should tell you a little bit about themselves and their loss. And you'll share with them details. Exactly. Okay. I need to speak with everybody who's interested. Yeah. And so if they reach out, I know they have an interest. And then I'll get back in contact with them. And we'll figure out if it's the right fit. And okay, another thing is we have listeners all over the world. So is this invitation open to everyone in the entire world? Or is this just for people in America? Like kind of give us, is this just English? Let's just say like English speaker. Well, yes, it needs to be English speakers. But I've already had someone reach out out of the country. And really, it's just a matter of figuring out if the time zones work in terms okay. of a meeting time that works for everybody. But it doesn't matter where you are because it's virtual. And I'm okay. here as, to help. As long as you understand English. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I assume you do because you're listening to this episode. <laughs> right. Fair point. When are you aiming to start these groups? Like next month? I would like to start, I know I didn't put a, a date. I would like to start in, I mean, if I could, I'd start in like a week or two, but again, it depends on. Okay. Yeah. Well, you'll let people know, I guess, like on a, you know, as they reach out, you'll give them the information and I then will. they'll figure it out. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so exciting. Yeah. I know, the reason I exciting. ask that is because people listen like six months later. So if you're listening to this episode, oh, okay. people listen, you know, all the time. So if, if you're. Unfortunately, babies keep dying. So. Unfortunately. Right. I know. So if you're listening to this episode, this episode is going to come out February, 2023. If you're listening to this episode yeah. at any time in the future, reach out to grief with Dr. Denise at gmail.com or grief with Dr. Denise on Instagram um, and ask about her groups, because I suppose the idea is that there will be groups, you know, ongoing from this point forward. So feel free yes. to reach out to her. Even yes. if it's no longer 2023, you now have her contact information. She wants to hear from you. Yay. Exactly right. <laughs> We're so excited. To all of our wonderful new friends, we want to hear from you. Email us at aslongasimlivingpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at aslongasimlivingpodcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grieving brains allow. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>